0: Hello, and welcome to IRI's Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, Misty Davis, Chief Marketing Officer at IRI. IRI leverages forward-looking insights to help companies in CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets to help grow their business. Our purpose is to reinvent how people make decisions, how they take action, and optimize performance by unifying technology, analytics, and data. At IRI, we're about smarter decisions, faster actions, and exceptional performance. As part of that effort, we regularly share our thought leadership with the industry at large, addressing and tackling the most pressing challenges and opportunities within our industry. Our special C Suite Conversation Series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode, we'll be talking to Mark Smucker, CEO of the J.M. Smucker Company, the fifth generation leader of the Orville, Ohio-based Fortune 500 company. In addition to Smucker's, J.M. Smucker is parent to more than 30 brands, including the I- iconic Folgers, Duncan, Cafe Bustello Coffees, Jif Peanut Butter, Carnation, Knott's Berry Farm, and leading pet brands, including Meow Mix, Milk Bone, and Rachel Ray Nutrish. Many, many more included. J.M. Smucker has received accolades for product innovation, marketing innovation, and company culture, All topics we're going to learn more about today leading today's conversation will be kirk perry iris chief executive officer and also a member of jm smucker's board of directors this will be a fantastic conversation with that background it's my pleasure to turn it over to kirk and mark
1: thank you misty really appreciate that and uh as you just mentioned i have the privilege of serving on the board of smucker and i get to see mark you know, in, in many different settings related to his running of the company. He's a fantastic leader with a great team in a very tough industry. So it's a privilege today to have this conversation with Mark. So Mark, let me ask you a fun question. We talk about the purpose of Smucker being making food that brings people and pets happiness.
2: So what Smucker product brings you the
1: most happiness?
2: Well, first of all, Kirk, thank you for having me. Um, it's truly a pleasure. Obviously, we've been partners with IRI literally forever because we. Um, I- I'm 52, and of course, growing up around the business, I worked summers uh, here in-, in Orville, Ohio, which is about 50 miles south of Cleveland, um, and. When I was a marketing intern, this was probably 1989, 1990, we were working with IRI. And Kirk, you'll remember from your P&G days, getting the big binder run yeah. monthly. For sure. Right? And as an intern, I had to analyze all the shared data. But that was, you know, 30 plus years ago. So we've, we've been working with you guys for a really long time. And it's been a great partnership. And I know how much the company has evolved um, obviously for the positive and, uh, particularly with your leadership, it's been great. So, um, really appreciate the partnership and, um, both on our, our board as well as with, with your company. So happy to be here, but your question, what, let's see, what products bring me happiness? Well, I could te- I could easily say that we have one dog Rex who's a pit bull and he consumes a ton of milk Bone. And we go through milk bone dog biscuits, like not quite as much as food, but he eats a lot of those. We're big dog lovers. And then personally, honestly, a family favorite of our namesake jams and jellies is cherry preserves. Our cherry preserves are made with Michigan red tart cherries, not sweet black cherries. And so it's a little bit unique. And that has always been a, a family favorite. I drink Folgers Black Silk every day. Um, I probably eat an Uncrustable almost every day, so I'm I'm definitely walking the talk and and consuming our own products.
1: And I and I can vouch for that, Mark. We have we have board meetings or board dinners. There's always jams and jellies associated with those events. So it is it is exactly. a staple of your life that I can personally vouch for. Um, <laughs> If, if uh, you could wind back the clock, go back in time and visit with any one of the past leaders
2: at the company, who would it be and what would you ask them about? Well, uh, to be honest, the, the, I'm the fifth generation. The first two generations, I never knew. So I would honestly love to have met our founder, JM. His name was Jerome, and he went by JM, his initials. And then his oldest son, Willard, um, I would have loved to have met as well. And, and the, the lore has them, describes them differently. So Jerome uh, was a very warm, caring, fun-loving guy. And Willard has a reputation of being a little bit more gruff, whiskey-drinking, cigar-smoking guy. So I, I, father and son, I think they're probably very, very different. And I would have loved to just learn, you know, from from JM's perspective, what really drove him to be an entrepreneur? And from Willer's perspective, what, as a second generation leader, how did he think about growing the business? Did he have a strategy? Was it You know, just come in every day and and try to grow the business. Or was there really a thoughtful strategy behind it? Because we don't have a lot of documentation from that from that time. He did take the company public uh, in 1959. Willard did the second generation. And so it would have been it would have been really interesting to just hear some of their thought processes of how they thought about the business, how they thought about people, because obviously culture is so important to us. And we didn't codify our culture. We didn't articulate our culture until my dad and and Richard, my uncle, um, had the foresight to write it down in the 70s. But the principles, even though JM and Willard were so different, the principles by which they managed and inspired people, I I have to believe, were somewhat similar.
1: I love the. You know the the family woven throughout the history of the company, and uh, you know just walking in the halls of the headquarters in Orville, the signs up with some of the, the sayings of your great great grandfather, your great grandfather, your grandfather, your dad, and Richard. I mean, it's pretty pretty remarkable to see that stuff up there. And and one of the other things that's interesting about the family being so woven into the company is the fact that you all have to go do something other than Smucker at some point before you can come work for the company. And what a lot of people may not know about you is you are a teacher. Um, and those who know you, that makes sense because you, you could see you being a teacher. Um, how has that experience of being a teacher shaped you as a leader, you know, as 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 a leader of the
2: company today? I was thinking about this question, and I think the short answer is what being a teacher taught me is that people don't learn by being taught. They actually learn by doing, mm-hmm. and the best schools are the schools where you actually have experiences where you're doing the work. You know, starting your career at, at Procter & Gamble, you know that because p is known as one of the best schools for mm-hmm. business, right? And I was a science teacher. I majored in geology because I liked it, and, you know, I was, I was a rock nerd when I was in, in high school. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I wanted to use my degree, and I knew I needed to work elsewhere, And I wasn't sure if I wanted to actually come back into the family business. So I, I ended up in the deep south. I lived in Alabama for a couple of years. I taught I taught eighth-grade science. And uh, it was really fun. And what I did learn is that the more hands-on you can help the kids be, they'll actually absorb the material. They'll actually learn something. And I find that that's, uh, that's, that's the best way to learn. And, and I've been so fortunate in my career because I was given so many opportunities once I finally got here when I was 28 so I did have a couple other experiences, advertising being one. Uh, um, I had so many opportunities here that I really was able to learn along the way. And I was given the opportunity to make mistakes, right? And, and learn from the mistakes and make organizational changes and try to build a culture and um, work with customers and do some marketing. And so... Having those having those experiences and, you know, being, you know, having been an expatriate as you were, you're left alone a lot. And when you're in another country and you're given the keys or the reins, you got to figure it out on your own. And yes, you have mentors. Yes, you have a a boss. But on the day to day, you got to figure it out on your own. So I I find that having the experiences really helped me accelerate my growth. Hmm. I love that because, again, seeing
1: you and you are an experiential leader. Like you are hands on, you get into the pieces of the business, you understand them well because you put your hands around them. Versus being sort of from the mountaintops looking down and understanding, like you know it, and that I think that's that's the mark of a really exceptional leader. Um, that you learn as you you know you you learn by doing it, which is what I what I actually get to see you do. And Speaking of doing it, one of the one of the great things that you all have done as a company, I think Fast Company, named J.M. Smucker last year one of the most innovative companies in branding for 2022. Jeff had sent the book around to all the board members, so we get to actually see the article. In fact, number three, which is super impressive. And we at RRI have identified the GIF No Sugar Added Peanut Butter and the Squeezable Peanut Butter as new product pace setters in 2021. And again, from a board perspective, seeing the innovation across the company is pretty remarkable And how we think about the future and how we think about meeting consumer and pet needs going forward. How would you describe your approach to innovation to someone who's not a board member or doesn't know the company well? And you know, what tools do
2: you use to deliver innovation in the marketing that actually supports them? As you well know, Kirk, it starts with listening to the consumer, Right. Particularly when you're talking about product or brand innovation, um, really understanding the consumer need. And you mentioned GIF Squeeze, which is far from rocket science. Right. I mean, it's literally peanut butter in a squeeze container. You know, why did it take us so long to launch a product that, you know, people needed? We knew people wanted it a lot of it had to do with the technology around the packaging because peanut butter is sticky. It sticks to everything it touches and trying to find a package that it will (laughs) be able to leave without sticking to the walls of the package was, was a lot of the challenge and having the right nozzle that uh, aluminized flexible packaging. That's what unlocked the ability for us to get that to market And when we see other competitors uh, launching uh, similar products, we think ours performs better because of the packaging innovation. So a simple idea, maybe not as simple to execute, but that that one's an easy one. I think where it gets more challenging, and, and you've watched us in your time on the board transform our marketing capabilities, trying to become more innovative in our in the way we communicate with consumers, trying to become more innovative in the way that we engage with our retail customers. And what's interesting is we had to not only restructure ourselves, but we had to also find a new marketing partner in Publicis. And also they had to restructure themselves and line up with us um, basically one for one In order to make that work. And we had to change the way that we thought about marketing. Um, You know, we are a pretty conservative Midwestern company. Um, We typically did advertising on on very a very limited set of media outlets. And so it took some time for us to get comfortable with um, change and being more bold, being a little edgier. And if you think about the GIF campaign and how it migrated, it started with Choosy Moms Choose GIF, which is what we hered, inherited with the brand when we acquired it from P&G, to that GIFing good, which you know is already edgy because, <laughs> because it, it smacks of a four letter word. And then, Migrating from that new slogan all the way to creative, which involves some pretty edgy rappers, right? Um, That was a good example of the evolution. So it wasn't a flip the switch. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over a couple of years. And I think that's where we got the recognition from Fast Company, because once, once we got to the little GIF campaign with Ludacris, that's really where you saw the magic happen. And so it, it was a process and it took a lot of change and a lot of leadership, um, but support from our board, of course, was, was, was key. Um, and, you know, your voice helped throughout that process. Yeah, I, ha-
1: I just, I have to give you guys huge kudos on that because it's always hard to walk away from something like Choosing Moms Choose Dip, GIF because it's such a long campaign, successful over time. But, you know, that old adage, change before you have to. And you you all did that seeing it from a board perspective. And, you know, when, when I first joined, it was we'd see 30-second TV copy to now we start with TikTok or, you know, what's happening on YouTube or what's, what's happening on Instagram. And just the, you know, the way that you all have approached the innovation and marketing along with Publicis and what they've been able to do with you is it really ha- has been a quantum change and it supports already strong. Product innovation. So love the innovation focus that, that you all have driven. And it shows up in, you know, in marketplace results.
2: So congrats on that. At the very beginning, before we got a lot more bold with our, our model and our creative, long before any of that transformation began, there was a fundamental consumer insight about choosing Mont choose GIF that was the modern family whether it was dads or um, same-sex couples or what have you, looked at that slogan and didn't felt that they identified with it. Mm-hmm. And so that little consumer insight was the very first small shift in moving away from that legacy slogan because it didn't resonate with the modern family. I, I love
1: that, Mark, because I think you know, my experience in 30-plus years of doing this in the CPG world and the, the tech world is those little insights are the things that create transformation, like the, the ability to connect the dots on something that might seem like, oh, well, a segment of consumers can't identify with that. What does that mean? What's the why behind that? And then it leads to this transformational breakthrough insight that really drives significant business results. I mean, that's that's the remarkable thing about it, is it wasn't obvious to everyone, but you found it, and it drove tremendous results on the brand. Well, and there's trial and error, right? No, for I sure. Mean- it's yeah, not like were, we figured it out on the first yeah, try. <laughs> yeah, there were, I remember a few of the errors. Um, um, speaking of huge accolades, you know, not only on the innovation front, but Forbes recognized you all as a top global employer. You're, we just talked about a fifth generation leader. In fact, you're the sixth family CEO of the company. How have you built this inclusive environment and what has that meant to the business in your estimation?
2: Well, I, I have to, first of all, I'd have to give credit to all those that came before me. Um, this is our 125th year. Uh, we'll be celebrating our 125th anniversary later in early fall. And, you know, I have to give credit to, to my predecessors for creating the foundation, which is our culture, um, which... And, you know, and being in the Midwest, it allows for a a very collaborative spirit, right? And our culture is built on this notion of listening with your full attention, saying thank you, um, assuming positive intent, looking for the good in others, and having a sense of humor. So if you think about my grandfather, who was truly a great leader, he was a very soft-spoken leader. Um, he, he viewed work as something that you had to love to do and you should have fun while you're doing it. And if you're not having fun while you're doing it, then you're probably in the wrong career. And so some of those ideas, the, sim- the simplicity of listening, the, the simplicity of, of being grateful and saying thank you really do go a long way with folks and create an environment where um, people do, you know, they want to come to work. I guess if you think about you know, the, our, the modern age that we live in, I truly believe that a diverse organization strengthens our company and it starts with inclusivity. And so even though today, as we sit here, we're not necessarily as diverse as we'd like to be, we've done a fantastic job um, with gender equality, We recently launched in the last about two years ago all of our employee resource groups, which have really raised the voices of some of our more underserved folks in our population. And having the opportunity to listen to them and understand their needs has really allowed us to to move the needle, to start to move the needle on on inclusivity. And so we are making a really big push, as you know, to. You know, we talk about D and I. I always refer to it as I, D, and E, because I truly believe that you have to start with the creating the inclusive environment, which opens the door to diversity and equity. I'm really passionate about listening to others, learning from others. And you know, those precepts that I mentioned earlier is really this part of our commitment to each other, which my grandfather penned. In the 80s and if we embrace uh, those precepts and we truly do listen we don't always have to agree with each other but if we are truly listening to each other and we are open to new ideas that will allow us to become not only inclusive but a more diverse organization. You know again we've talked about this before but
1: you all have done an incredible. You mentioned Orville, Ohio. It's not exactly, you know, the metropolitan area of New York City or Chicago or San Francisco or L.A., but you've done an amazing job bringing a diverse workforce together there. That with all of these initiatives in this space, really creating. And there was a there was a, a guy named um, Professor Goshal, World Economic Forum in Davos, many years ago. He spoke of this concept of the smell of the place. You know, when you walk into a company, it literally is palpable what the culture is. Is it is it inviting? Is it inclusive? Is it dynamic or is it hard? Is it caustic? Is it, you know, is it combative? And I think, you know, I remember the first time I walked through the doors, you could sense the culture at Smucker. It, it is unique and differentiated. And I think that's why even for a small town, you've been able to pull together a workforce that's pretty remarkable. Um, so congrats on that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And and on that note, thinking about social change and what's happening in the world today, I mean, it's a it's a pretty remarkable time to be a CEO given all of the societal changes that are going on, the pressures, not only from the pandemic and on the business, but also from the communities that you serve as consumers. Can you talk about the thriving together agenda that you have, which is a commitment to positive influence? On the issues that are challenging
2: the people and the pets that that you serve as a company. Yeah, sure. Um, so you know, we all. Every company has a mission or a purpose, um, which is why we come to work, and it's it's obviously to serve a higher purpose. And and you you touched on it. Ours is feeding connections that help us thrive. And then our tagline, life tastes better together. That's, that's, that's our stated purpose, feeding connections that help us thrive. And we have, over the last few years, tried to more clearly articulate what it, why we're in business and what it is that, that we're doing. And so you referenced this thriving together agenda, which is focused on a few things. It's access to quality food. So, you know, we've donated over uh, 23 million meals to people and pets last year. So access to quality food, access to education. And we partner with, um, we actually have partnered here in Orville with our local schools. There's a, a foundation that was actually started by my parents called Heartland, um, which really is all about community. Is it, you know, you always hear the expression, it takes a village to raise a man it takes the village because the commu- it's not the school's responsibility it's the community and the school's collective responsibility together to raise our kids so access to education you know we've with the LeBron James Family Foundation in Akron which has started a a school that that seeks to serve the most underprivileged children accelerate their reading skills which ultimately leads to um A better learning environment for them. So, quality food, education, then promoting equitable and ethical treatment. Um, You know, and we—I just touched on this in on the last question you asked. We have new partnerships with uh, social justice organizations like the Equal Justice Initiative and the Human Rights Campaign. So, the broader community, right, that we live in. So, not just Ohio, but our nation and in the world, and then also making connections to community resources. So we've always supported the Red Cross, the United Way, both financially and through volunteerism. And then finally, uh, supporting a healthier planet. So we just, as you know, announced our new environmental goals. Um, we, we exceeded our last uh, set of goals and so recently launched those. And even in, if you think about supporting our communities globally, we have a couple projects in our coffee growing regions like Central America and Indonesia, where we actually help farmers um, grow their coffee more sustainably and make their farm a profitable business. So trying to make an impact wherever we can. And that's really what the Thriving Together agenda is all about. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome
1: purpose driven focus for the company. And I think, you know, again, being able to see it up close, um, you, you did a great job explaining it. But when you see all the pieces together and how the company runs, it's a palpable impact on how people think about it, who work there and the purpose that they have in their work. So I think that's that's amazing. And I I think the last couple of years with the pandemic obviously have driven a lot of things um, in, in the world that we live in today, for good and for bad. But as you, yeah. as you think about the changing workplace, I mean, obviously things have changed. What are you, how are you addressing this with your organization?
2: Well, <laughs> you know, we're all dealing with this yeah. and I don't think any one company has figured it out yet, but we're trying. And as, as we have... Went to 100% virtual and now you know back partially in person. Thinking about creating an environment that um, is unique to our company. So, just to give you a sense, we we want to support our employees holistically and meet their needs by by providing them a unique work experience, which gives them flexibility, but still gives us the power to strengthen our culture. And so we've adapted. We think what we're doing right now is working. It could change, but again, this sort of a more progressive kind of uniquely smucker work experience is one that provides flexibility, but also a thriving and purposeful and connected culture. So the way we've, a lot of companies went to a very simple structure of being in the office three days a week, we're trying something a little different. We identified 12, what we're calling core weeks. This happens to be one of them where we want people for the better part of these weeks to be here, to be in the office where we, you know, create experiences. We, we bring food trucks in, we have a farmer's market now that the weather's nice. Um, and we, we give them reasons to be here. And it also they also happen to coincide with maybe some broader company meetings. So we use these 12 core weeks to really be purposeful about bringing the majority of our people back to either this office or wh- whichever office they reside in. And then, and then ask them. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about office employees and corporate employees. And then ask them to really think about being present, physically present, no less than 25%. So sort of guideline would be 25 to 50%, manage your own schedule, try to be here during the core weeks. So that's how we're thinking about the corporate. And then with our manufacturing employees, as you know, two thirds of our employees are manufacturing employees. And how can we best support them? And how do we continue to provide them opportunities to engage as well and not lose sight of the fact that they are coming to work every day and there's, there's no option. They have, they, we need them to make the products that we all consume. So I think the bottom line is we're all learning and we'll adapt as needed. But as long as what we do at the end of the day nurtures our culture, and keeps it strong, I think we will have succeeded. And I 100% agree with you, Mark. I think it's a massive social experiment right now on,
1: you know, what what works and we're all going to have to adjust and adapt as we go forward because what works in manufacturing is different than what works in the office. And I, I, being in the office, the serendipitous bumping into people and having conversations. Totally. It's so important. Like I, you forget that until you're here and you get to run into people's office and just have, versus scheduling a scheduling a call. You just see people and have a conversation, which is really, you know, I've missed that uh, just the human interaction. So I think we're all trying to figure out what's the balance between the flex that we all had during the pandemic and what the business needs to deliver in our objective. And I, I think we'll learn as we go, but I think again, seeing it from a board perspective, you guys are really trying to find that sweet
2: spot as well. Yeah, if you mean, think about the social the social interactions and the tough times working elbow to elbow, those are the two situations that actually strengthen relationships. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, now we're dragging into year 3
1: of a pandemic, we're going to start seeing probably reflected in culture scores and things where people really are, like how how do those play out, those social connections, the working through difficult business challenges? How are those playing out and reflecting the culture that we want to create? So I'm, I'm anxious to see what happens over the next six months across the board, not just at Smucker or IRI, but across industry so we can all learn from each other. I totally agree. So you have been amazing, as always, answering questions very honestly and directly. And uh, I can't thank you enough being able to you know, to interact with you on a very regular basis. I see, you know, what you're doing in person and knowing that, you know, it's just not platitudes you're sharing today, but it's, it's real stuff that's happening inside of the company. And just congrats on the continued business success and uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us. And I'm going to throw it back over to Misty, who's going to, who's going to close us out.
0: Awesome. Mark, thank you. And thank you, Kirk, for leading a fantastic conversation. Mark, you're now going to be known internally at IRI and to the larger audience community as our folders drinking, dog loving, science teaching, rock nerd. And, uh, but you also just confirmed with us how fortunate we were to have you on our C-suite conversations because you are an incredible marketer with excellence and expertise. So thank you. Um, just kind of summarizing what we just heard. What we heard uh, that I loved was people learn by doing. And I think you both reiterated the experiences you get make you who you are we talked a lot about innovation. So innovation coming first and foremost from really understanding the consumer. I loved how you talked about kind of the evolution of your company and how you focused on innovation meant that you had to get comfortable with change. Um, You had to be more bold. You had to be more edgy. Um, You had to really think about the slogan, the image, the faces of your brand, and you had to take some risks, but they've paid off. And we talked about consumer insights. I think we use the word insights all the time, but sometimes as small of an insight as it may seem or as obvious could actually end up being that huge insight that leads to a transformational breakthrough and result in huge business results. I loved the choosy moms choose GIF kind of analysis here that you, you said it's an insight that not everybody felt included with that. And so, you know, moving to that different slogan was such a big move for the brand, but something that has paid off. Uh, Your conversation around inclusivity and diversity is so top of mind for so many companies right now. And um, very obviously important for your culture. I love that you're continuing to listen to the needs of the employees and move on. I'm going to steal with pride the I, D and E efforts. Loved that. Um, And I think a lot of us at every single company are still trying to figure out how to deal with this post pandemic return to work. And so the flexibility and creativity you have of those 12 core weeks, which Kirk, I love. And uh, I think it's a really, what Kirk said is when you're in that office, you have that vibe. So definitely we'll probably be following up with you to learn a little bit more about that. But then you also realizing that you have an entire other part of your employee base who's not the corporate in the office. And so focusing on what the manufacturer side of your business needs. Um, Love hearing about the incredible partnerships in the global and local organizations. I think more or more companies need to do this. Um, the schools, the communities you're working with, you helped our audience today really understand the heart of your company. So, thank you. I, I feel connected to the company more so and understand what you stand for. You know, your purpose driven focus. If every company in the world could actually work to thrive better together, imagine the world we could live in. Um, but probably the thing I will take away the most is what your grandfather said, love what you do and have fun doing it. If you're not having fun, you're probably not in the right career and you are definitely in the right career, Mark, because your passion came through in this interview. So thank you, Kirk, for leading the conversation. Thank you, Mark, for being such a generous, generous volunteer with your time in a busy schedule. And uh, thank you for giving us a little bit more light into the James Smucker Company.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Really a pleasure to be with you all.
0: It was great. Thank you everyone for viewing. And uh, for all of the viewers and listeners, the recorded conversation will be available on our website, iriworldwide.com. And we hope you'll also take an opportunity to review all of our other thought leadership, including valuable reports, our dashboard of economic indicators, and prior C-suite conversations. Thank you all for your time and have a wonderful rest of your day.